How many folks are uh, just anxious to get out of here and start watching uh, the World Cup? Anybody? Anybody PVRing? What is it? It's some form of sport, I think. Racing? Some sort of hockey thing? I don't, yeah. Some sort of hockey thing, I think it is. So, yeah, it's cool. Cool. As you're, uh, as you're coming to your seats, I just want to introduce you to uh, Stacy. Come ahead on up here. Give Stacy a big hand. I think... Over the course of the summer, I uh, unplug from the preaching schedule, and we have uh, other people from the congregation come up and, and preach, and it gives me a nice break, and it gives you guys a nice break from me, and, uh, and it's a really great opportunity for some other uh, folks to share what the Lord has put on their hearts. So Stacy's uh, sharing this morning. Is this your first sermon at uh, OVV? Is this your first? Second time. Okay, so second time for Stacy, and uh, yeah, she's going to be she's going to be great. So let's just say a prayer for her and uh, and welcome her. Father, thank you so much for Stacy. Thank you for uh, your word uh, flowing through her. I just ask you to bless her, uh, give her courage, uh, give her grace, uh, let her have some fun, uh, take all the nerves and stress out of it. Just let her uh, flow in your Holy Spirit and uh, and share your word. Uh, we receive what you have for us, Lord. Bless her in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Here you go, Stacy. Thank you. Well, last week I heard there was an opening, so I'm like, I'll do it. And my husband was like, that's not something you joke about. I'm like, no, I'm not joking. I really, I'll, I'll do it. So I had a week, so put it together. But God gave me something three years ago. And a couple of weeks ago, I got the last puzzle of it, the last little piece, and it was really powerful for me, so I wanted to share it with you guys. And so my topic is going to be about the parallels between a Jewish wedding and the bride of Christ. So it starts with the betrothal. So um, the way a Jewish wedding works is the father of the groom chooses the bride for the son, for the groom. And the groom goes to the house of the bride to purchase her for a price. So it's more like, it's not really buying the bride, but more like giving money to compensate the family to, you know, to acquire her. And um, the groom brings four things with him when he comes. He brings uh, a dowry. He brings the marriage contract. And the marriage contract is called a ketubah, and it states the price that the groom has to pay, the redeeming price for the bride. And the, the amount given was chosen by, has to be agreed on by both fathers. And um, the amount given is kind of chosen by how much she's worth, and for the purpose of protecting and providing for her during the time that he's away to get things ready for her so that they can be together. So um, the groom has to pay this price and disclose it to the bride. So the bride knows in the contract what she's worth to the groom. In the contract, they also talk about um, the, sorry, I'm really nervous right now. The promises that the groom makes to the bride. 
and his obligations to her, to provide for her, to protect her. And so this is in a contract, but the only thing required of the bride is to accept the contract. The other thing he brings is a wine cup, which we have here, and it's presented to the bride after the contract is given to her, so she knows what is expected and what, you know, all that he's disclosing to her. So the wine cup, if she drinks from it, she's saying, I accept the contract. And at this point, if she accepts the contract by drinking of the cup, then it's legally binding at that point and she is betrothed to the groom. If she rejects the cup, she was rejecting the proposal and there's no betrothal. The other thing the groom brings, he brings gifts. And these gifts are not obligatory, they're like voluntary. And most of the time they're jewels and fine linens and stuff that she can use to adorn herself. They're usually very expensive, uh, perfumes and jewelry and, and that sort of thing. And he's given to her. Um, so it's kind of like Jesus. And the gifts that he gives us is eternal life. He gives us peace. And the Bible says he gives us anything we ask in his name. So after the marriage contract is signed, he places a veil on the bride. And from this point, she wears this veil until the marriage, until she sees him face to face again. And the veil symbolizes that she's spoken for, that she's not in circulation anymore, that she has to give up all single activities of her life to prepare for a wedding and for marriage life. So there's things she has to learn, that she, like from her mom and her grandma and her family, that she can take home with her for her husband. So skills and things that she gleans from experience. So in the scripture, it says in John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. In John 10, it says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. In John 14, 32, it says, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the time of the betrothal is like a time of preparation and, and anticipation. So this is her time to get herself ready. So in Hosea 2.19, it says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and then you will know the Lord. 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. And in John 15, 16, and this is really exciting for me, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And the groom always pursues the bride. The Father chooses us, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver from your futile way of life. You inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So we were worth that much to the groom, that he died for us. There was nothing on this earth that we 
could be bought with. We were worth way more than that to him. In Matthew 26, it says, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, so this is the wine cup given to the bride, given it to them, he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So after the marriage is signed, the contract and the wine cup is drank from and the bride is veiled, the groom goes to the doorway and he says, I'm going to leave now. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But I will return for you. John 14 says, from 1 to 3, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you also may be. So after the betrothal, the groom will say these words to the bride as a promise to come back. He cannot return until he builds a room called a bridal chamber on his father's house. The bridal chamber has to be decorated and furnished and stocked for seven days for the wedding feast. See, the groom doesn't give her a specific time because the groom doesn't know the specific time. The father chooses the time because the groom would just throw something together so he could bring his bride home. So the father inspects it and makes sure that the groom has done everything that he can, that it's furnished properly, it's stocked well. And then he says, okay, son, it's time. So the bride has no idea when the groom's coming back because the groom has no idea when he's coming back until the father says it's time. So um, Mark 13, 32 comes in. But that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. See, when I heard all this a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh, the scriptures just came alive to me. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense now, right? So this is the next stage after he leaves. It's a time of preparation for her. So this picture here is what you call a, a mitvah, and it's a bath. It's a, um, a spiritual bath that they, the brides have to go through, which talks about in Esther, when Queen Esther has to go through her preparation. It talks about the baths that they have to take. So... It's a time of preparation for the bride. So the first thing she has to do, um, she knows that his return is unknown, but it's imminent. She knows he's coming. She doesn't know when. And so um, she prepares her gown of the finest cloth and linens that she can find. Um, it has to be white to symbolize purity. She accessorizes it with jewelry. She embroiders it. She takes a lot of time in planning her gown. And then she has to go through the cleansing, the ritual cleansing that, um, that all Jewish brides had to go through. Um, so it's called a mikvah, and it's a bath that has to be full immersion in water. So you have to go down the steps, and you have to go completely under the water. But the really cool thing about the mikvah is water has to come from a natural spring, has to flow in and flow out. It can't be stagnant. It has to be living. And so you have to, they have to be fully immersed in this living water. 
And it's not for physical hygiene because they have to thoroughly wash themselves before they go in. Um, but there's um, oils and stuff that they put. It's like so that everything is clean. You can't have any clothes on. You can't have braids in your hair. You can't have jewelry on. You have to be completely no barriers between the water and your skin and every part of you. This bath symbolizes standing completely naked before God with any, without any facades, any coping mechanisms, no defenses, so he can completely clean us and then close us with his garments. Like in the book of Esther, brides did treatments with myrrh to clean and treat wounds. It was an antibacterial, antifungal, antiparasitic. It was known to promote good health um, for the skin. And then the Bible talks about other treatments that they have to go through as well. Hold on. So in Esther 2, 9, it says, Haggai was very impressed with Esther and he treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specifically chosen from the king's palace and moved her and her maids to the best place in the harem. In Esther 2 and 12, it says she was given prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with the oil of myrrh, followed by six months of special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given a choice of clothing and jewelry, to take from the harem. So the idea is to be completely cleansed and totally immersed and to totally be clean. And when, she's, when she does that, the other thing that she has to do in her time of preparation is to leave a lamp in her window. This, this was very powerful for me when I heard this. Um, the lamp in the window is put there because when the groom comes back and she doesn't know when he comes back, she's going to look for the light in the window. And if the light is burning bright, then he knows that her love burns hot for her. Like, her love burns hot for him still in the wait. But if the, the lamp hasn't been trimmed and there's no oil in it, which means her heart has been given to another and her love for him has grown cold and he won't come for her. And when I heard that, I just, my heart just dropped. And then I understood the story of the ten virgins. Because their lights went out, so they weren't ready. Their love had grown cold in the wait. And so it's very important for her to make sure that she has fresh oil, fresh Holy Spirit in her life. And that she trims the wick every day, which is trimming the flesh, so that her heart burns hot for him. So when he comes... He knows she's ready and she still loves him. So the Bible says in Revelation 19, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Husbands, love your wives in Ephesians 5, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle and any other blemish, but holy and blameless. 
And Isaiah 61.10 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord, and my soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and a bride adorns herself with jewels. I know there's a lot of scripture, but it just came alive to me, so it kind of ties everything together. <laughs> in Ezekiel, it says, Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, um, it says, Such were some of you, and this is the importance of the bath, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And I already read the other one. So the receiving of the bride. So this is pretty exciting. The father says, it's time with a big shout. And the groom rushes to the bride with his friends that are with him. So it's whoever is immediately there at that time. And uh, the friends run ahead through the streets and shout, the bridegroom comes. And uh, I didn't realize this, but most Jewish brides are actually abducted in the middle of the night from their house. So, uh, like this. So, this is like they're carrying her through the streets at night in this carriage thing because she's probably half asleep. And uh, that's how they come and get the bride in the middle of the night. So... I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and she has to be ready, right? Like, she has to be, like, in her gown and washed and ready. So when he comes, yeah, it's, hence the lamp, I suppose. It's dark. Um, so Matthew 25 and uh, 5 and 6 says, Now while the bridegroom is delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Come and meet him. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, 18, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. The lamp in the window. And, um, yeah, and then she has maids with her. So the maids are helping her get ready. And this, I found this really interesting. So as she's getting ready, she has a maid signed to her. And um, so the maids come to the wedding, too, because they're accompanying her. And the maids represent the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, and the pastors. So the people in the congregation and in the church body that equip the bride and give her the things she needs and help her to get ready and prepare herself. So I thought that was really interesting. Sorry, I don't have it up here. In Ezekiel 16, 8 to 14, I'll just read it. I should have made a slide, but it says, Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love, so I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you with water and washed off the blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals or porpoise skin on your feet. 
I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk, and I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your hands, a necklace around your neck, put a ring in your nostril and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. Your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil, so you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And then your fame went forth among all the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord. So the bride is carried through the streets to marry her groom. And they come underneath this. It's called a, a kappa. And it's a, a shelter with four open sides and a canopy. And the ceremony always takes place at the home of the groom and the father. And only a few people in attendance. It's only... Um, immediately family members, so brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, um, and a few witnesses. The marriage ceremony takes place under a canopy, signifying that the bride is coming underneath the protection and the covering of her husband, and that a new home is being established. All four sides are open to symbolize hospitality, no matter which direction a stranger comes to them. He is welcome. This speaks of the relationship between Christ and his church and the marriage between us as a shelter for all those who are lost. The veil is then lifted. The bride and the groom see each other face to face for the first time since the betrothal. In 1 John 3, 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has put his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So um, on that note, I just want to say that God pursues us first. We don't pursue him. We don't find him. He sees us and he pursues us. So this morning, I want to symbolize us accepting the contract or the covenant that he has for us. He's told us the price that we're worth. He's willing to give his whole life, everything, left heaven, died for us, sacrificed everything for us. That's pretty significant. And so this morning, I invite you to come up. And let God know that you accept the marriage contract, that you want to be his bride, that you want him to adorn you with the fine silks and the, the embroidered cloth and the, to purify you so that you can one day see him face to face. And while you're, doing, while you're doing that, you can just come up on your own time. I have some questions for you to think about. Have we accepted the covenant relationship? by drinking from the cup? Have we allowed him to veil us and take us out of circulation of the world? Are we reading the promises he left us before he left in his contract, in the word? Are we cleansing ourselves from all unrighteousness every day and trimming our wick? Are we adding the Holy Spirit to our lamps to keep them burning bright? 
Are we adorning ourselves with praise and worship and righteous acts? Are we surrounded with maids who are helping us prepare for his coming? Are we being teachable? So I'm just going to pray as you guys keep coming. We'll just close. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for your immense love for us, that you saw us afar off just the way we were. Thank you, Father, that you see our value as somebody worth dying for. You give up everything for us. Thank you for your word of promises that you've left us your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It never changes. Help us, God, to just keep reading those promises. Realize that's a contract to us. That's legally binding, that you're holding your word. You never change. I pray that you'd help us, God, to let you change your hearts, to soften us, to take out the things in our lives, God, that are weighing us down and keeping us distracted from you, God. But that our hearts would burn bright for you, God. We want you to see our lamps burning. We want you to come for us. We wait your return, God. We thank you, God, for who you are, for what you've done, and the excitement, God, of this relationship with you and how much you love us. We thank you, Jesus, and we ask you to go with each one. We ask you, Lord God, to help us on our journey, to equip us. Help us to equip each other as maidservants of your hands, God. To instill in each other the things that we need to be ready for your coming. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen.